Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and this week it's all about me. Uh, my new album just officially releases today, so I thought I would go ahead and kind of do a bit of a walkthrough of it. This is a very unique album, completely experimental, something very different from anything I've ever done. As far as I know, no one's ever done anything quite this like this before. Um, so I'll get into that. Um, first, uh, next week, my book, What Happens in Vegas, the third book and final book in that installation uh, will drop. And that is available currently on Kindle only. But that is uh, now available for pre-order. So you could go to my brand new author page on Amazon, which I'm very excited about. And you could pre-order that. It's $3.99. Um, because of the amount of pictures, the download is bigger than it is for for other books of that size. So there is a, a, a higher minimum requirement that Amazon has for me to charge for that book, uh, which is fine. Uh, $3.99, I think, is a good price. And you could just kind of scroll to any page at any point and hopefully find something that will make you smile. It is a pretty crazy random collection of 450 things I've actually heard people say on the strip and 100 just completely random pictures to go with it. Um, it's not a book that you're going to find like these really nice touristy pictures, although there are a couple I think uh, are, are pretty nice. But mainly I wanted them to be just as random as the quotes like I did on the first two books. So 450 quotes, plus there's a few bonus quotes in there and also 100 pictures to go with that. $3.99, great deal. You can't beat it. It's, uh, it's a smile on every page. So check that out. That will come out a week from today on the 22nd. Today we're talking about my new album, which is called Songs from the Circuit Board. I've been a big fan of computer music since we started having computers at home and, and I started hearing it. Um, it really started for me re more, I, I would say, with, uh, with whatever video games I was playing, whether it be on the old Texas Instruments 99 4A computer, which had you know, some cool sounds in it, but it, it was pretty limited. Um, most of the really was limited because of space. You know, most of the games were focused on uh, the graphics with a little bit of, of just incidental sounds. So they didn't really have a lot of room for music, but someone have like an opening theme or something like that. Uh, and then, of course, once um, like Commodore came around, uh, we started getting a, a little bit more um you know, music with the games. Uh, Atari had a little bit. Atari's really surprising too, because the games and the, the cartridge memory was so minimal. I'm actually quite amazed that they were able to fit as much on some of these as they were. Um, Pitfall 2 had a really good soundtrack, even on the Atari 2600. Um, there was a game called In the Hall of the Mountain King that actually used Grieg's song Hall of the Mountain King as part of the game. Um, you had to search for this little dancing hat and it was in the dark and you would have to just kind of go around and, and get enough gems to be able to like unlock the hat. Then you would have to go around with your flashlight and try and find the hat. Then as soon as you grabbed it, you would start hearing the, the theme from In the Hall of the Mountain King. Um, there was something. Oh, there was music that would play. And I don't know if it was another part of the suite because I, I can't place that music, but it would get louder the closer you got to the hat. So you had a, some sort of audio clue that you were getting close to the area where it was. And then you would use your flashlight in the game and try to find it. So once you got the hat, uh, then that just kind of ended and you would have to make your way down to the little skull room where once you got into that, you could jump up and grab this crown. Now, once you grab the crown, that's when all hell breaks loose. You hear the the soundtrack to In the Hall of the Mountain King, and you uh, you have to climb all the way to the top of the hill without uh, a running out of time or a bat stealing your crown. But it had a good version for those chiptune sounds. It had a really good version of that song, and um, I, I really dug it. It's it's always been one of my favorite classical pieces. I did a cover of it years ago. But anyway, this is how they were integrating music into the games at this point. So, um, you know, once the Amiga came around, it was all about graphics and sound. So those machines were really designed more for that than general purpose, like the Commodores were, uh, not the Commodores, the band with Lionel Richie, the Commodore computer series. 
uh, those were really designed for like general purpose computing and games. But Amiga was was mainly production driven. So it was really powerful for graphics and audio. And uh, that's when it really started to get cool. So you, uh, I think I talked about this in the last week's episode when I did the Amiga music um, show. But uh, there are just like hours long clips on YouTube where you can go and just hear different ones. A lot of them come from the video games. Some of them are from various mods that people created, which was uh, the song files of the day, the, the what would be the MIDI file now. Um, but really cool stuff. And so I've always loved that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to write something in that sound style. And I've tried before and I could just never really get a grip on it. I had a handful of sounds that um, that would work, but it, it just, I don't know if it was the sounds that just didn't really inspire me or or what it was, but I just couldn't get a feel for it that really made me feel like I was capturing what I wanted to capture. So a couple of programs uh, came out, uh, one very recently called High Score. And I think that was kind of the the impetus for me to try it again. And the the sounds on this are really vast. And Impact Soundworks also has uh, another program that I used along with a what's called the SNES Reverb, which is an effects unit that is copied from what they used in the Nintendo. And so this has uh, a little bit of a delay you can use, a little bit of a chorus, and it also has a, a reverb. It's really a, a very unique little unit and so I used that on the first of the three sections because what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of compare and contrast a little bit on this too. So there's eight songs, um, but three different versions of them. So the first eight are the you know actual chiptune, Super Nintendo reverb, uh, mono, no panning sounds, right? Um, those are just the basic songs as they're written, as you would hear them in like a video game that doesn't have stereo. Uh, the second version is the same songs, but done in a more modern mixing style. So instead of being limited to that Super Nintendo effects unit with the reverb and the chorus and the delay, I'm using like regular reverbs, regular panning and delays and, you know, making it a full stereo mix as if it were mixed in a studio today. So there's a, a contrast between the two. Instead of that that mono with the one type of effect, then you get the full stereo uh, without the limitations of that Super Nintendo unit. Um, so that would be kind of the, uh, you know, if, if you were mixing this today for a game using those chiptune sounds, this is what it would sound like. The third version, um, they're completely rescored. The first song is pretty similar. There are some similarities throughout some of the songs. But basically, if I were to score these songs today based on the setup like this this is the welcoming screen what would i do for the welcoming screen if i were using modern sounds versus the limitations of the chiptune sounds um so the the songs are vastly different although there are some similarities especially in the first one because originally i thought i was just going to take the same midi file and just change the sounds maybe enhance or, or alter a little bit here and there based on the sounds that i chose but I ended up actually rewriting most of it because what I realized is if I wasn't using or if I wasn't limited to chiptune sounds, I would score these completely differently. So there are some parts, like I said, that, that are, are similar because I used, uh, you know, the same timing, uh, roughly the same timing of the songs, uh, roughly the same feel, but changed the, uh, the audio of it completely and, and rewrote, I would say, a good 85% of what is in those. So um, so they are completely different. So uh, you have the original dry mono limited mix, then you have the full stereo modern mix, and then you have the, the eight songs that are completely uh, restructured, recomposed for modern times, if, if I was scoring this video game today. So it's it's really unique. I don't know that anyone else has done anything quite like this. I'm not saying that it's anything groundbreaking. It's just different. Um, but it was it was a real challenging project, and I had a lot of fun with it. The songs are very short. Um, I mean, even with 24 tracks on the album, it's still a pretty short album. So I, you know, I'm not charging like a $10, you know, entry fee to get it because, you know, you're not getting 70 minutes worth of music like you normally would. So uh, what I think I put it up for like five, $5 or something like that on, um, on Bandcamp. Uh, some of the other distributors will have their own pricing adjustment. Amazon usually charges a little bit more because their fee is a little bit more. Um, others will keep it where I put it. Some will be minimal. It, you know, it's 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 up to them. 
but um, it'll be available in all the usual places. It'll be on Bandcamp probably first, uh, following on their own schedule, because I have no control over this, will be iTunes, Amazon, Deezer, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, all of the, the regular places that it'll appear. As I get word that it has, has appeared on those sites and I get the links, I will add those to my website. Uh, the way that I do the website is the uh, the newest projects appear on the main page. And then when the next project comes out, I bump them to like the album will go to the album page that has all my albums on it and all the links that I have um, for purchasing or streaming those albums. And then uh, the new album or the new project goes on the front. So right now, if you go to my website, uh, you should theoretically see this album with its current links. And then you'll also see, uh, you know, the most recent single that I've done. And also, uh, I should still have the Office Ladies uh, song that I did with my dear friend, Chandra Jefferson. Um, it's called uh, Heartache in the Break Room. It was a challenge from Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey on their show, The Office Ladies, and uh, really had fun with that. It was great working with Chandra on that project. So, you know, you'll see the most recent stuff. And then as I... Um, as I move things around, as new stuff happens, then those go to their own pages and in the projects section uh, of the website, whether it be music or books or, or whatever. So uh, all that's available. All the links are always available on the website. If uh, you can't find anything on your own, just go to scotthaskin.com. The links will be there, hopefully somewhere reasonable that you can find. So let's get into this album. So I kind of scored it in in the order. Well, I didn't write it in, in order, but I kind of recorded it in the order that you would have experienced it in the video game with a couple alternatives. So the first one would be the welcome screen. Some games, uh, more so on, on the computer than in the arcades. The arcades would sometimes play sounds, but a lot of times they were pretty silent until you put the, the quarter in it or your token in it and started it up. Uh, sometimes they would have little teaser sounds like Stratavox would every once in a while just say, help me, you know, to try and get, get you to pay attention to the game and maybe go play it. Um, but more so in, I think in the, in the PC, in the home computer world, you would have these, uh, startup screens that would be playing music. And so this was, uh, my idea of what would happen in this particular game if the game was trying to tease you into playing it. And so this is simply called welcome screen. So that's a little bit of a taste of the 8-bit version. Now, to give you a little bit of the contrast, I won't do this on every song, uh, just, just maybe this and, and one other one to give you that contrast. This would be the, uh, that was the uh, just 8-bit mono mix. This will be the modern stereo mix. So I think the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to play the other version of the song. I'll, I'll go through each song and do do the different versions of it. Um, again, just for the first couple, I'll do the stereo mix, but I'll do the 8-bit and the modern version um, it, it, through each song. We'll just go through them in that order instead of the order they appear on the album, which is, you know, all the 8-bits, then all the modern 8-bit uh, mix, and then all the modern compositions. Uh, I think that would make more sense. So here is the modern composition version of the welcome screen.
So this one has the most similarities, I think, to the original 8-bit version I wrote. It's definitely different, though. It has a, a, a darker feel to it, and it has a little bit more, I want to say it's a little bit more adventurous, but it's pretty traditional, or, or I would say it pays good respect to the original version, where I think this one probably more than any of the other ones do, except maybe a couple of the ending sequences I think are are somewhat on par with the originals. But either way, you know, it's it's all about what you feel in the moment, how you would do things with what's available to you. So certainly I, I have far more tools available to me outside of the 8-bit world than I do within the 8-bit world. So I, I have a lot more choices to make, um, a lot more available to choose from. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be different. It's going to have a different feel when I can put in so many different textures than I can with just the 8-bit sounds that I have access to. But it's it was a real challenge, too, to do some of these because uh, somewhat the original 8-bit version I wrote would be in my head. I wrote all the 8-bit versions first and then did the the modern versions. And sometimes I would have certain things stuck in my head. I think, well, that has to go in there. I think that's an important component of that song. So I need to have that in the modern version. And others, I thought, you know, I don't want that in this version. It just doesn't fit the way I would do it. So it was a real interesting project for sure. I had a lot of fun with it. And hopefully you guys will enjoy listening to it too. So the next uh, song or set of songs, I should say, uh, would be the next logical step. So you hear the welcome screen. You're like, you know what? I want to check this game out. So what do you do? You put a quarter in, or at least in the back in the day. So a lot of times, even in these really, you know, dark games, you would have happy little tunes, you know, they would be like, you know, cute and welcoming and inviting. And some of them, you caught the sense that they were trying to be dark, but just with these happy little sounds, they just really couldn't be as dark as you would necessarily want them to be to set the right mood for the game. So, you know, even even in those, uh, I, I'm trying to think of what the the game was that I'm I'm picturing it. it it's like a hunting zombie site game. But even that, like the welcoming screen was like trying to be dark, but it was just too cute and, and sweet and really did not quite set the tone. Some of the sound effects in the music during the game actually did, but the, the you know, that opening music really didn't. Uh, but so that would be the 8-bit version. I'll just play a little bit of the uh, modern mix 8-bit version again for that contrast. So again, same song, but completely different uh, sound to it, because again, you're going from mono to stereo, but you're also not limited to that SNES reverb unit. And, you know, with the delay in the chorus, you've got regular reverbs, you know, and, and normal uh, current modern plugins at uh, at the ready. So, uh, of course, you know, the next logical thing to do would be to play you the modern scored version of Put a Quarter In. So that, uh, as you can hear, is a completely different song. Um, the mood is way darker. It's it's ominous. It says something's about to happen. You're about to go through something. You know, it uh, it really leads you, I think, into the next part. More than these happy little songs that would be the interludes from one part to another would do for you. 
uh, a lot of times too, I think on the, especially on the, the Commodore 64 that I had in the 128, I think a lot of these things would play while games were loading. So it gave you kind of something to entertain you while it was loading in the, the next section of the game. Some games were so big, you needed to change discs throughout the game. Um, it was a whole different world of computing, guys. You, you couldn't ever just have anything instantaneous. Sometimes these things would take 20, 30 minutes to install before you could even play them, um, before you could even read the instruction manual because the package hadn't hadn't installed on the system yet. And it was completely different times. You had to have a lot of patience and uh, yeah, uh, nothing like what we have now where you can just have games within seconds on your phone and their graphics and sound are amazing. And um, yeah, this is this is kind of where it all started to to head to where we are now. It was a big advancement to have uh, a lot of these games on home computer and, and them have the musical abilities that they had. So uh, the next one I want to explain a little bit, it's called Confrontation on Quendor Moon. This would be the first uh, really interactive sequence to the game where you're actually doing something more than watching the game load. This is uh, a nod to the Infocom world where one of the objects in one of the games or in the lore of one of the games, I can't remember now, was called the Coconut of Quendor. I can't remember if it was part of the Enchanter series or part of the Zork series. I, I want to say it was the Zork series. Uh, but in any case, I, I really like the name Quendor. I thought that was pretty cool. So I thought, you know, this game, as I envisioned it, would be uh, one of those games where you just go to different worlds for no reason whatsoever. Like you're in a, you're in space and then all of a sudden you're like in uh, a forest and then all of a sudden you're in the water. Like it makes no sense. A lot of these games made no sense when it came to the randomness of how they would play out. It's like there is a story without there being a story and only because you're being presented with different challenges in different worlds. But the game would be basically the same, just with different backdrops. So I thought that would be kind of a cool idea for this game to have like three completely different worlds so that I could explore them musically. So the first one obviously takes place in space and is called The Confrontation of Quendor Moon. Here is the 8-bit version. to say from an audio engineer's perspective, I think this song probably more than any of the others shows why panning and why it's so important in music. Uh, Here, everything is just dead center. So it's all fighting for the same audio space. And when you get to the modern mix version of this song, I think what happens is it really transforms into something that is much more tangible because the sound is spread out. Everything has its own space. You can hear everything far more clearly, which was a big difference between, you know, the sort of 8-bit mono direct sound versus being able to spread things out in stereo, which, you know, the Amiga was able to do. I don't recall the Commodore being able to do that so much. I I just remember hearing whether I was listening through headphones or, or the speakers, I remember just hearing everything equally in both ears. And it could have been the specific things I was playing or, or what I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure what the full capabilities were. I'm just remembering what my experiences were back then. So uh, a, a huge contrast between that and the, uh, the modern mix. But here is the modern score version. Yeah, I really like this. Uh, you you get such a depth, a sense of urgency, uh, a, a feel like you need to do something, you know, to take some kind of action. And I just couldn't really, no matter what I did with the 8-bit sounds, I really didn't feel I could create that type of urgency. 
you know, I think some of the the songs kind of create a feel like you want to do something, you want to take some kind of action, but it's more excitement than need. I think with with some of the modern score versions, I, I definitely feel it's more like you feel like you need to do something, like you need to defend yourself or attack to preserve your life or whatever. The 8-bit sounds, so many of them are just so, you know, cute and, and stuff that it's really hard to for me uh, to to get past that and and make it more dark and intense. So I think that's the biggest contrast you'll see between the original 8-bit versions and the modern score versions is that the the sense of intensity is completely different. And um, also kind of shows the progression of where we're at now in games versus where we were at before. I mean, a lot of them, the big games are scored with actual symphonies. Now, a lot of times, um, it's it's really amazing what goes into them. So, yeah, certainly um, a, a big change based on the availability of sounds, what we can do and what that drives us to do. So that brings us to our next song, which is Ambush in Killian Forest. Bit of a story uh, behind this one. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of comedies, and I don't know that this movie was intended to be a comedy, although I found it to be one, would be The Running Man starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I could not wait for this movie to come out because I was a huge fan of the short story by Richard Bachman, a.k.a. Stephen King, from the Bachman books. Uh, I was very excited to see how they were going to do this. And what they did was they just said, uh, let's make a movie about a game show called The Running Man. And that was about the only similarity that it had from the Stephen King book. I mean, there was nothing else that I recall at all being like that. Uh, For one, the character had, I think, the whole city to run around in and try and hide. And I think the whole premise was is if he wasn't caught after 30 days, then he would go free. He would win the prize and, and all that stuff. He had to send in like a couple of video clips every day so they could tell where he was sending them from and kind of triangulate his position. Of course, by the time they got them, he would be long gone from there. It was a really different story. Um, And then, you know, what they did with Schwarzenegger, of course, um, really turned into, I I really felt it was more of a comedy and I'm not a huge fan of comedies, but this is like an action comedy. Um, If they were trying to be serious, I apologize, but I just did not get that out of this movie at all. But Richard Dawson, you know, uh, host of The Family Feud, he was a guest star on uh, other game shows for many years. Um, He was the game show host of The Running Man in the movie. And he played this very, you know, high powered, uh, very political uh, type person. And, uh, you know, his whole thing was being number one and all this stuff. And he'd been in the business 30 years. And uh, of course, he's the one that uh, that promotes Arnold Schwarzenegger into being on this show. Uh, the funny thing was like he was, he was a fugitive and he said, I want him on the show. And his assistant was like, uh, well, you can't have him. He's still a fugitive. And he's like, well, they'll get him for me. I'm like, well, if they could get him, they would just get him. Wouldn't they? I mean, isn't that what they do with criminals? I don't know. There was, there was some weird dialogue in that movie. Um, a lot of, you know, comedic Schwarzenegger, typical one-liners, which were really fun. Um, definitely love the guy, the, the opera singer that was all uh, lit up in his costume. There was, there was some good stuff in the movie. But anyway, it's it's like a guilty pleasure movie for me because that's not typically the style of movie that I would like. And as a little bit of a nod to that, uh, I named this song, or I named the forest of in the song after uh, Richard Dawson's character, Killian, and called it Ambush in Killian Forest. So here is the 8-bit version of that. in some of these games when you would get to a new screen there would be a short musical interlude uh i believe that was again to kind of pacify the player while the game loaded or while that level loaded um but in any case i thought one for this would kind of be like the the troops or your character going into the forest and it just having that little musical number at the front of the song and then getting into it once you're back in control of your player and could start uh, the action 
But uh, yeah, a, a fun song, a little more lighthearted. You know, it's got a couple of dark tones in there, which are really nice. Um, I was really glad I found those in the, the chiptune library. But uh, I had fun with that one uh, just the same. I think this is one where I feel I was able to, to create a little bit more of a sense of purpose than some of the other ones. But uh, again, like you can't have that pounding kick drum because the, the sounds just don't allow you to, to have anything that really pushes your chest the way like a regular kick drum would do, like we can score in modern games. So again, in contrast to that, here is the modern score version of Ambush and Killian Forest. So for this one, I went with something much darker. Um, you know, instead of that pulsing drum, I actually opted for uh, timpani, which I thought worked better for the mood I was trying to create. But this is definitely more of an atmospheric with a sense of foreboding kind of piece. At least that's what I was going for anyway. Uh, hopefully it's it's one that you'll enjoy. It's kind of weird, like listening to video game soundtracks without actually playing anything. But, you know, a lot of the, the soundtracks have become a huge market piece you know um a lot of the bigger games releasing their soundtracks um it's really cool to see how far video game music has come since the you know the late 70s early 80s when i started playing the stuff at, at home and on computers and in the arcades um it's been really amazing to watch the the progression of it all so our our last uh location song is called Exploring the Tempest Sea. The uh, The story behind this one is one of the games that I love to play, but I was never really that good at, to be honest, it was a game called Tempest. It was a vector graphic game where you had a dial and two shooting buttons. One was your main button, and the other one was a super zapper that you had to earn uh, by scoring enough points before you could get, or maybe it was clearing a screen. It might have been when you cleared a screen, you got a super zapper. I don't remember but uh, those were the, the two uh, methods of, of attack that you had. So you're, you're spinning around these, uh, these shapes and inside the shapes are these aliens that, that are coming up trying to basically breach Earth is, is how I imagined it. Like you're at the, uh, the top of a hole in the Earth and you're going around the hole trying to shoot all the things and stop them from breaching the surface and, and now invading Earth. So there, is these, there are these uh, you know, aliens that come up that you shoot. Then there's these ribbons that just kind of cling and go from section to section. It's all done in, um, you know, in, in um, vertical, I guess they would somewhat be diagonal in this case, because you're really looking down into the hole. Um, but like uh, just lines that would start at the hole at the bottom and then just come up and there's all these different sections. So these red ribbons would just kind of go from one section to another as they came up. So they're really hard to chase down. Good challenge, definitely uh, for the hand-eye coordination. Then the other annoying ones would be these green swirls that would come up from the bottom and they would leave these spikes and you could shoot the spikes down. But at the end of the the round, if you d destroyed all the enemies, the spikes would stay there. And when you went through that hole, um, if you went through the hole where the spike was, you would die because you hit the spike. So another really good challenge. And the game was incredibly fast paced. So you really had to be on top of things. And it was a, a very, very challenging game. I really wished that I was good at it. I just got tired of pumping quarters into it and dying very quickly. And so uh, so I never did. And then the home versions, um, they weren't the same because you don't have the dial. You have a joystick, so you can't really control how fast you go around the screen to shoot things. Uh, it's very limiting. It's like playing centipede with no trackball. If you're playing with a joystick or with arrow keys, you really can't control the speed of how quickly you're getting around. So you don't get to be as good at the games as, as you potentially could be. So um, it's it, for me, that's a straight up arcade game, unless you have one of those, um, you know, console interfaces at home that you plug in and it has a trackball or it has a dial and that kind of thing. But it, it was a really cool game, one I loved very much. Um, I, I just I think it sticks in my memory more because I couldn't get good at it more than anything else. So anyway, this song was uh, a bit of a nod to that one. So this is Exploring the Tempest Sea.
know, and, and ironically, I don't remember if Tempest had any music to it or not. It was, you know, it was a vector graphic game. So it was one of the earlier ones, as I recall. Um, very cool, though. The cabinet was really cool, too. The, like, the side of the cabinet was at an angle and um, had really cool graphics on it that just kind of made you go, hey, what's this game? And then once you knew what it was, as soon as you saw it, you knew you had an opportunity to play. It was really cool. So with this piece, um, it was, again, something I tried to create that sense of urgency. Uh, don't really have that that push, though, that low end. It's it's really just more in that synthesizer that uh, that tries to get you, um, you know, sucked into what's going on and to, to give you that sense of purpose to play harder. Um, but in contrast, here is the modern score version. So again, a completely different approach, something much darker than I was able to create in the 8-bit version. Um, it, it definitely is the this sense of doom and gloom while you're fighting through the sea. I, I kind of like the idea of having the, the sea, though, not have percussion. And the reason behind that is that in in the water, it would be so hard to hit a drum because the the resistance of the water just you can't move that fast. You're not going to get any really good attack on the drum when you try to strike it. Um, I don't know what you would actually hear anyway. So um, I kind of like the idea of it being a little bit more isolated and kind of more of a feeling of of uh, helplessness than than the sense of urgency. I think that works a little bit better for this piece. And anyway, I, I hope you like it. That was what I was going for anyway. Uh, but sooner or later, you know, you're going to battle through the worlds and, and some games you would just keep battling through the worlds. They would just repeat and cycle and get a little faster, a little harder. Maybe there would be more enemies that you had to fight through and it would be diff more difficult that way. Less options, less ammo, less exits, you know, whatever it would be. But in this game, it's one of the games where you have a final boss and sooner or later you're going to reach that final boss and then the real battle begins. So here is the 8-bit version of the final boss. I really like this one. This this is one I had a lot of fun with. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I noticed too about these eight bit music pieces is that they're they would write stuff that like nobody would ever write or nobody would ever play because it was all programmed. You know, there were no live performances, no intention of ever being live performances of this music. Video game concerts wouldn't be a thing for decades. So it was really just about doing whatever you wanted with the music, you know, doing stuff that you couldn't write for players. And that was pretty cool. So these like, da -da 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 -da, you know, that kind of stuff, you wouldn't write, well, Philip Glass might, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't write that stuff normally for players. So video game music was very unique also in that way that you were hearing stuff, not only sounds that you wouldn't hear in songs, but also stylistically things that you would never hear in songs. So I think this song probably more than the others is a testament to that. Uh, but I had a lot of fun writing this one. It's one that, you know, when I go back and listen to it, it, it just it just absolutely makes me smile. And so let's hear the contrasting version, the modern score version of The Final Boss. So again, another very contrasting approach. 
Uh, with this one, I was thinking more of, I just want your body to feel tense. I want there to be more of an intellectual play here instead of a physical response, like just going into battle, a flurry of missiles or bullets or kicks or whatever, you know, you're, you're picturing the game to be. I want this more to be something that you really have to think your victory through. You know, it's, it's not just a spontaneous reaction, it's actual strategy. So I thought this music suited that a bit more than something aggressive like the 8-bit version. And so that's just the way that this game would go. There's some cool parts uh, coming up beyond the, the sample clip that I'm playing here that I really like. Uh, there's, there's like two transitions that I think are a couple of the, the best transitions I've ever written. So uh, check that out. Hopefully that you'll, you'll enjoy it. I did. I, and it's, you know, I don't go back and listen to my music a whole lot, but this is one that especially as I was mixing it, um, I was really careful the way that I mixed that because I wanted those two points to really stand out. But uh, I, I think they do. I, I'm very happy with the mix and um, very proud of this one in, in particular. I mean, I'm proud of everything on the album, but this song in particular, probably uh, the most because I think I, I achieved a next level scoring thing for me. You know, so obviously that's that's very important. Now, these last two pieces go hand in hand because when you play the final boss, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. And a lot of the more uh, advanced games would have different themes depending on which way the game ended. So if you if you lost, you would get one kind of theme. If you won, you got a different kind of theme. And this was, again, you know, more on uh, home computer, I think, than in the arcades. Maybe the more modern uh, video games in the last 20 years or so started doing that. I really don't know. Because I didn't play, I, I really haven't played a lot of the modern games. Um, you know, they, they're really expensive now. A lot of them, even just the buy-in is like a dollar or a dollar fifty. And it's, they're, they're just quarter-sucking games. So I, I really haven't done a lot of those. And um, when I do go to, when I have gone to the arcades, I typically go for like the games I used to play. If they have like a vintage section or some of the older games, uh, except the Asteroids. <laughs> the last time I played Asteroids, I put one quarter in. And after about 10 minutes, I just got so bored, I actually walked away. I had, I think, you know, a bunch of free guys lined up. And I don't know if anybody ever just walked over and started playing it or not. But I mean, that probably went for another 20 minutes or so without anybody playing it. And again, the game just continued. Uh, so um, apart from that, though, like I and Space Invaders, I really don't play Space Invaders uh, in the arcade. But, you know, if there's Tempest, I would give that a shot or Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Mortal Kombat. Uh, that's probably around the end of my um era I, I would say like uh when Mo uh, mortal kombat 4 came out that was probably around the end of me going to arcades and stuff and, and games just getting to be um a little advanced not that, that they weren't impressive but they weren't things that i enjoyed as much so um you know that was just you know the change the natural progression of things but i was i was more into home computing by then anyway um but so anyway uh, there's two different endings to this game the first one would be obviously i'm going to play if you lose first, because you're probably going to lose before you win, right? So here is ending or end in disaster. 8-bit. Now, in reality, this is probably a far longer piece than you would actually get with the game. Uh, in my mind, I was thinking that, you know, it would show your your ending screen, your death. It would, you know, maybe have a couple sentences about what happened afterwards and then maybe uh, display the game credits. Uh, most likely, you could probably just press a button and exit out of that screen back into the uh, whether there would be a continue screen. If you put like another quarter in or if you hit, you know, uh, continue on the home version. Um, there would be some way out of it. You wouldn't have to sit through the end credits every time. Although there was one game and I cannot remember what it was, but there was one game that had no option to get out of it except to, to hard shut down the program. And it was so annoying because it was a really long end credit sequence. And it was, it there wasn't like there was a lot of credits. It was just so slow and you couldn't get out of it. So you had to sit through it or just hard stop the game, which meant you had to reload it, which probably actually took more time than sitting through the end credits. So you could just like walk away and get a cup of cocoa or whatever. 
um, probably make some soup from scratch. Uh, but anyway, that was a disaster, the 8-bit version. Let's hear the modern version. So again, much darker than I was able to create with the 8-bit version. I think I got a pretty good mood with the 8-bit version. I'm very happy with it for, for that section of the album. But for the modern scoring version, um, definitely needed to, to go that extra mile or two. And I think I really achieved that here. I, I, I'm very happy with it. I got what I wanted out of it, what the intention was anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you lose the game, you're not going to be playing a happy little tune. You're, you're certainly not. And you're probably going to want to play again and, and defeat this guy and figure out, you know, what whatever strategy you didn't think of the last time and give that a shot. Eventually, if you if you're persistent and you have enough quarters in your pocket, you're going to figure it out and you're going to win. So here is the ending in victory 8-bit. it's a little bit creepy because even though, yes, you have been victorious, you're still stuck in a creepy world. So, you know, I wanted to keep that element in there. It's not like all of a sudden there's this ray that comes out of the sky and it sucks you up and, and you're placed back in your cozy little room. Um, you're still in whatever world this is. So if there was a part two to the game or, or additional mods that you could play or whatever, um, you know, you're still in this world, even though you've defeated whatever the final boss was. Um, who knows what happens after that. So I wanted to have it a little bit creepy still. I thought that that really fit the mood more than just the, let's just play this really happy victory tune. So that being said, here is the modern score version. So again, just a, a kind of crazy mood to it. Um, something really unexpected. I mean, you get the feel, the sensation of victory. You know you've accomplished something. But again, you're, you know, it, it's your character's life is not that much better. I mean, yeah, you're not fighting the final boss, but, uh, you know, it, it's not like roses just popped up out of the garden. So that's the album. Like I said, uh, very experimental. I really hope that people uh, like it. I have no idea what kind of reception to expect, to be honest, because like I said, I don't think anything quite like this has been done before. Uh, will I ever do it again? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. This was a challenge that I'd, I'd wanted to do for a long time. Originally, I was just going to do an 8-bit soundtrack. That was going to be the thing. And then I thought, well, what if wouldn't it be more interesting to do like a, a, a contrasting thing? And then I came up with the idea of the 8-bit and the modern. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do a modern mix, I should do another contrast showing how the 8-bit could sound if it had the full potential of a of a modern mix. So that's that's how it all came together. Like I said, I've tried several times over the years and just wasn't happy with what I was coming up with. So I think, um, yeah, I, I'm very happy to put this out there. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Kelly, who did an amazing job on the cover. Uh, her initial, uh, all I told her was, I basically want like a circuit board. And then she sent me, what, like 12 samples uh, initially. And I had a really hard time narrowing it down. And then I, I chose like a merge between two different ones. 
And uh, yeah, she just did a, once again, out of the park home run. While I'm recording this, she's just um, exporting the, the final version of it to send over to Rebecca to do the lettering. So I haven't seen the lettering yet as I'm recording this, but Rebecca always does a fantastic job. Links for those guys are in the show notes as well. Um, I love working with my team. They're absolutely wonderful people. They do a fantastic job for me every time. So thanks, guys, for listening. That is the album, 24 tracks, available now on Bandcamp and various other places. Check the links in the show notes. But for more updated links, check my website. That is where they will be. And again, if you're listening to this beyond the time that this is my most recent album, it will be on the albums page. Just scroll down to Songs for the, from the Circuit Board. Um, or is it at the top? I don't remember if my website's oldest to newest or newest to oldest. Well, you think I'd know. Uh, but anyway, it'll be on there. You can even just go to that screen, hit Control F on your PC keyboard. Uh, I don't know what it is on a Mac and just hit uh, Circuit or Sounds or whatever, and you'll probably find it very quickly. Uh, you can also check on Amazon, uh, iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, all those places. Um, but it's a fairly inexpensive album because it's so short. But you're also getting 24 tracks, a lot to compare and contrast, a lot to think about, and a lot to enjoy. Thanks for joining me on this walkthrough of my newest album, my 30th. Good God, 30 albums and a lot more in me to go. So you guys take care. Enjoy it. We'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.